guest today is Roshan Thomas. Roshan is an Irish UCI racing cyclist and is currently head cycle coach of Mizopo Performance here in Dubai. She won the amateur yellow jersey in Chiang Mai, Thailand in 2017, the amateur blue jersey at the 2018 UAE Cycling Championships, and the amateur green jersey at the 2019 UAE Tour. And in 2016, she was the first woman to cycle through all seven Emirates. I was just starting out with cycling at this time and thought of Roshin as a kind of wonder woman of cycling. So it's bizarre to think that we've been riding together for a few years now and are really good friends. Roshin joined us in our home to record this podcast. Welcome and thank you for talking to us. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, so you won a race just last week. How was that? Was it like one of the first races during the COVID time era? Yeah, so it was last, um, I think Tuesday, and uh, it was a it was a middle of the day race here. So it was quite windy, hot. It was a delayed start, and um, I, I I thought about it the other day it was my first big race since two thousand and nineteen. So. I'd been out of the racing scene for a year and a half, if my maths yeah. are correct. So I was a little bit nerve-wracking. The team that was put together was, it was put together really, really uh, fast and there wasn't very much time for everyone to get together and train. Mm. So the, the, some of the riders were European riders who flew in and I was chosen as from two local, local UAE riders. Um, to make up numbers um, and so the team was called Shabab Al-Ahli so they have a, a strong men's field here but this was their first women's team and the race was uh, the f first of its kind um, usually every year it's just for men so they actually opened it up for the they called it the elite women's race awesome. so um, it was yeah it was an exciting time and um, it was 106 kilometers and uh, I felt it. <laughs> I definitely felt it. It was, it, was, um, it, was, it was really tough because it was such a fast start and holding your position in the first 8K when there's panic and, and mayhem mm. is really crucial. Sure. But I just kind of, I, I, knew I, I, knew, I knew I had the fitness. It's just kind of getting that mental aggressiveness and physical aggressiveness to hold yourself in your place and not be bullied into the sand <laughs> where which a lot of people did and that's where the peloton split and I was lucky enough to be in the front group nice. and so yeah the first 45k was all going hunky dory and I was being the hero and closing every attack and nice. uh, then yeah then, so I did my work for the team but Unfortunately, at 45k, and I had premeditated this, I knew at around 40k I would get dropped off. Mm. So uh, I was got dropped off into the wind, and it was a really windy part, and a echelon was made, and the team wasn't really organized to make their own echelon. So if you weren't in the right position at that time, you say goodbye and good night, and then you're kind of on your own then for the rest of the race but yeah the team won so that was the main goal and I was just like the workhorse and I was happy yeah. happy to do that but yeah okay so still that's a congratulations Thank you. for that um, but let's sort of go back a few years let's go back to your childhood when you started 
Were you quite sporty as a child? I wouldn't say sporty, more of a, a child with a lot of energy and very little patience and hard to control. So I was, I remember being taken to like gymnastics as a kid, like I think I was five and I absolutely hated it because like you had to stand and be directed what to do and mm. I, I, I think I went once and I never went back. Whereas my sister was went to ballet and she went there like re religiously for eight or nine years. But then we we uh, we moved house. We moved to the other side of the country, so we were, grew up in Dublin and then moved to rural Ireland. Um, so that's where I think I started getting into more like running and athletics. My my dad used to take me to. An athletics club, I think it was on a Tuesday night in Westport, so it was about an hour's drive from where we lived. I, I stuck with it for a little while, but again, I just lost patience and mm. um, I just had no like focus. I didn't know nobody knew how to direct my energy in a certain way, and the fact living in rural Ireland, there's there's not much clubs. You don't have a cycling club. You don't have a running club. It's it's basically like you play GAA, we, that's Gaelic football, oh, okay. or you play hurling and you go to the school sports day and you don't really uh, progress onwards from 13 onwards. It's mm. like you, that's your, mm. that's your sport. <laughs> so, um, but, it, but in national school from I think ages, like when I was eight to 11, I I remember going to like school sports day and being really really good at running and um, the long jump and I, I liked that but also I was quite a nervous child and um, I hated any form of like stress that like put on me or expectation even when I was small I thought people expected stuff from me sure. like to win and I remember my grandfather being at a race and I came second and I was really happy with coming second like yeah. the girl that won she always used to beat me yeah and I remember going up to him and he said second place is not first place and to this wow. day I vividly remember him saying that and I think I carry that um his words until this day and I'm 31 now oh my gosh so How old were you? I think I was around that. 10 or 11. That's a lot of yes. pressure yeah. for a 10 year old. And like he, he was he was very into sport. He, he was a he was a figure where growing up in in football and running and very strong man in the, in, on, in the community. Mm. Went to London and set up a GAA team. My father was a marathon runner and very very good marathon runner. So sport was in my family. Um, and I kind of felt like I had to carry the sport because mm -hmm. my sisters didn't and my my brother didn't. So, yeah, I feel it's not a, a pressure of trying to be very, very good at, at, at something in sport because of that. It was, uh, yeah, it's just like a, an under, I, I, I felt I, I had to, to carry on, as you said, like a legacy or... <laughs> 
now, yeah. now I understand the roots of your motivation. Yeah. To yeah, not not very healthy, but no. at the same time, that's that's where it stemmed from. I think. Yeah. It's surprising yeah. you say you weren't focused because, like, as a cyclist now, I imagine you have to be like focused the entire time with the tactics. And yeah, just... I, I I still struggle though today. I I struggle with um like stress of racing. Yeah. I get very nervous. I dream about races four days before they're due to happen and yeah. um, I may not come across like that but yeah internally it's something that I do sure. you have a good like, face then. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah the Oakley's help oh, the, the definitely <laughs> and and the mask and the Oakley's oh, help to cover that. your your, you your fear <laughs> internally screaming but no one can tell yes People yeah continue with wearing masks even after the pandemic for that yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, so you've been in the UAE for an, a while now. What brought you to Abu Dhabi and like how long have you been here? So I moved to Abu Dhabi when I was 24. That's right. scary. I've been here seven years now. Yeah. Gosh. Uh, yeah, so I actually came here as um, to work in a gym. In a gym called Haddon's as a personal trainer and one of their triathlon coaches. Um, so I was kind of... Uh, thrown into the deep end really I had to basically plant myself here and grow myself as a as a person and prove to people who I was and um, after a year of working in the, the gym industry it, I I hurt my back so I actually had to resign from my job um, but in the meantime in, in that in that short year that I was in Abu Dhabi working for them I made a lot of um, friends, and they supported me even even when I had um, resigned from the job. I my visa was expiring, and managed to uh, make good connections here and uh, find other jobs and establish yourself as one of the fastest female cyclists here. Yeah, so I I had never really cycled before in Ireland. Yeah, only like. I could count on my hands how many how many times I went out on the bike. I actually used to cycle on my uncle's borrowed bike in a pair of runners, a helmet that was two sizes too big for me, and like a protein shaker was my water bottle. So, yeah. So when I bought my first bike in the UAE here, it was like a aluminium bike, cheap as chips, no power meter didn't wear didn't know what a heart rate monitor was and um, yeah it was very very basic and very raw but I loved going out in my bike to Al Watba mm -hmm. and I'd go out there at five o'clock in the morning I'd cycle for as much as I wanted to because I, I didn't have any other other um, things to do so yeah. I just made that my main priority just to cycle and then started cycling in Dubai um, and I got picked up by a bike shop to cycle for them. They were they made a, wo a women's team, yeah. very like low key amateur women's team. And yeah, I just started winning like most of the local races. The scene was a lot different then than it is today. Yeah. It's developed quite a lot because so much more women now cycling technology bikes and mm, yeah. um, everything's gotten so much more savvy and yeah. Um, yeah so now I now I ride with the parameter and I <laughs> I stopped riding with the heart rate monitor because I, I yeah 
don't like seeing my heart rate yeah, and in in rate. It's <laughs> definitely not if you're if you're going, you don't need to look at your heart rate. You can feel in a it race. yourself. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, the power yeah. is definitely more important, and I guess that could lead us on to the, the idea of the FTP because many people feel that the measure of the FTP is everything and the power that you push on a trainer. Um, but I guess we'd like to ask more if. Uh, about bike handling skills, the importance of that, or tactics in a race, is that possibly more important or of equal importance than just pushing power? Yeah, it's definitely FTP is important. Sure. Um, we all have different FTPs, and it's good to know what our, I'm not going to say limit, but what we can do for a certain period of time yeah. in the circumstances given. So, yeah, like if you're going in a breakaway, you'd rely on your FTP to see what you can hold for a certain amount of time without the wheels falling off, as they say. But um, I would say tactics in a race situation, in a cycling, in a road race situation is far more important than an FTP. Your FTP could be 200 and a girl that dropped, got dropped off 3k back her FTP could be 300 yeah. but the fact that the 200 watt FTP rider knew how to hold her place mm -hmm. and uh, in the race is going to cross the line yeah. before the lady that wasn't sure she was getting spat out the back like that washing machine effect yeah. so they say if you're not going forward in a peloton you're definitely going back and I can for one, it, it, it happens and it's not a nice feeling. Yeah. So yeah, tactics and knowing how, gauging the race and doing your recons, knowing where the road is going, where the hills are, where the wind is going to be coming from at that, that time. So you need to really have your homework done. Yeah before you even get in the bike so yeah, i'd say you'd know on the course where you want to attack where you're exactly gonna, like take a break yeah yeah and where you're gonna drink yeah and people do make that mistake like a lot they just really don't and do their analysis yeah. before the race yeah but i guess a part of that is knowing your ftb and being having your ftb it's like okay i know this is my limit i know this is what i can do and being tactical when to actually push and when not to yeah exactly so limits, yeah guess, as you said yeah so don't go full gas in the beginning when there's like 50 other riders around you just just sit and draft and and follow wheels and then when the time is right then you can start showing your power yeah. you see a lot of people showing their power and then you won't see them at the last 10k so <laughs> so yeah yeah and I guess other parts, we spoke about tactics, we spoke about FTP, it's also nutrition and fueling and timing is that. Um, do you have any advice regarding that in training and in racing? Yeah, so nu nutrition and, and fueling and when to eat and what to eat is, is really important. It's something that I've um, kind of nailed it now after six years of, of, of cycling. Um, before I used to like starve myself I always was told you know the the lighter you are the better you'll be on the bike and that's that's yeah I, I get it you know um, power to weight ratio but at the end of the day 
we we race flat here most of the races are, are flat so really your power to weight only really kind of works when you're in europe racing in europe when where you it's need the mountains exactly so yeah i i eat three times as more as i used to eat wow. five years mm -hmm. ago yeah um carbs are not the enemy they're your friend <laughs> Um, Especially for 100 kilometer races. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your recovery days, you don't have to half the quantity of food. That's not true. Um, eat when you're hungry, but it's also the the quality of food. Obviously, don't be eating burgers and pizzas on your. You know, when you smash a 100k ride, it doesn't yeah. give you the the authority to go and 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 <laughs> and con and continue that because yeah. that's not good for your body. You want to fuel it like a well lubricated car yeah so um definitely on race days i would have the same thing i have every day like it's always porridge uh toast banana the usual boring stuff and then an hour before the race i'd eat like a 500 calorie bar i'd all be sipping on electrolytes um, and then during the race it's really important that you keep on eating even though you mightn't want to put something right because you're actually struggling to breathe but you have to try and get something down be it gels anything because you will you you're just burning all the time and you know if it's a 100k race and you stopped eating at 50k you're not going to feel like you did in the first 50k so yeah definitely it's um Another thing that's overlooked and a little bit of kind of bad, it has a bad reputation yeah, like food and cyclists because you see these, yeah. the pro cyclists and they're like, excuse me, but they look like skeletons mm -hmm. and it's, it's not healthy. It's, mm -hmm. it's definitely, especially for women, we, we work in a different timetable to a man. Yeah. <laughs> like the cycles and it's it's really important that we kind of everyone listens to their body and, and fuels knows how to fuel themselves as individual people Definitely. yeah uh, i guess talking about recovery you said you know you should eat the same amount to like refuel eat the protein to build the muscle that you worked a week for do you have any other recovery methods <laughs> um massage definitely I try as much as I can to get in for like a massage every every second week okay. and that's a deep sports massage yeah. after the ride I would try and get into a cold shower as okay. soon as possible yeah. even though you may want to just kind of stand under that hot and steamy <laughs> goodness it's it's better for your muscles just to go into a, a cold shower and then you can you can turn on the on the hot water but yeah, I don't really foam roll. I, I find it very tedious work. Yeah. Um, I like I'll pay someone to stick their elbow into me then rather yeah. than try and roll out muscles yeah. myself. I mean, definitely another person is going to find the place oh, better than you. Definitely, yeah, because you'll always avoid that yeah. that tender spot. You won't be as ruthless as they would. To Ex you. Exactly, and they they know where to where to get into the the muscles. Um recovery shakes yeah when i feel like it but i'm not i'm not the person that has my recovery shake after a big ride i just eat carbs yeah i just kind of listen to my body and sleep the mm -hmm. best recovery right it's like 
eight hours, nine hours is crucial. Definitely, it's where all the the, the repairing happens. Mm-hmm. It's where you can really go into the sink into that deep sleep and let all the good things happen from the workout that you did. Yeah. And it's yes, yeah, it's just good for the the body. It's it's priority number one actually sleep yeah. over anything. Yeah. Tell my university professors that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No night. You need you. eight <laughs> hours a night, yeah. no less. Yeah, so I guess one thing that we mentioned earlier was you cycled across all seven Emirates in one ride. And you didn't just do it once, you did it twice. Because, which is unimaginable. What's that distance? How far is that? Yeah, so that was um, a 467 kilometre feet. But it was in May. So May. May, May is the hottest time of the year in in the UAE and I had to choose it because it was like, yeah it was like it, it, we we had to stop obviously because yeah. like that's just <laughs> a death sentence even though it did seem like a death sentence <laughs> but yeah we we stopped yeah it it was I was planning it for it, it took about I think 4 months to plan wow. properly yeah but my initial plan was to ride from Abu Dhabi to Dubai slightly bigger scale that you ended yeah. up doing in the end because <laughs> I was getting I was getting really like bored in my life at that whenever it was I think 2016 and I think I was just at the point where things were getting a bit too monotonous in my life and I, I get bored quite easily so I was like right what can I do I, I remember I was driving to work from Abu Dhabi to Dubai on the highway and I thought I wonder has anyone cycled <laughs> 100 kilometers on the highway on their own and then I I came into work and I a co-worker and I told him the idea and he just said what are you talking about 100k let's do the whole thing let's let's go really beyond what what people would ever expect from us so I thought you know what you're right let's let's plan it and um, we got five other riders with us I think it was five. Yeah, five of the riders and I was the only female. And uh, yeah, so ventured out from Abu Dhabi. It was the coin in, you know, Mazda? No, not Mazda. Around Al Manira. Oh, right. You know the big coin? We started yeah. from there mm-hmm. at the flag. Yeah. And we ended in Nadashiba. Okay. So the route was from Abu Dhabi to Al Qudra. Then Al Qudra to Nizwa. And then we go on to the Shauka Kalba Highway, hit Fijera, up the coast to Khorfakan, veered left <laughs> into Rasulkhema, then down Umil Qaim, Sharjah, and back into Dubai on the highway. So you didn't Can just you... make it through every Emirate, you also like turned back to Dubai. Yes, to do a whole loop. yeah, it was a, it was a f- nearly a full loop. And... Um, yeah, definitely a, a mental test rather than a physical test, would yeah. you believe? Well, physical as well, just to put in perspective, how hot? Well, it was, yeah, it was, talking. it was actually roasting. Like, Five degrees? I don't know. It, it, yeah, it felt like that and it, it probably was. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I like, I remember at 12 o'clock and I think we were, we had to sit under a highway tunnel, the underpass in Kalba. 
we found a top it was it was <laughs> so I was actually melting and <laughs> it was really hot and windy at the time oh. and I just remember guys we need to like we need to hydrate yeah. so everyone would like douse themselves with like cold water but we had a support car which right. was really necessary Nece <laughs> definitely necessary yeah so that in itself being so hot was was really tough but then halfway like was really kind of a turning point in people's how their mental status oh, was um yeah like i remember kind of getting up and say okay guys come on and i just remember the look of their faces looking at me like would you ever <laughs> shush <laughs> give us another 10 minutes <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so no, it was it was um something that I was very proud about. Yeah. Oh, for sure. My dad had flown over, so I knew that he'd be waiting for me in Nadashiba. Yeah. And um yeah, like it's something that I can really like look back on and say I did this and I was the first female to do it and Sorry. like I I've seen people that have attempted it again but they didn't do it in May <laughs> and there was probably 20 of them so it's a lot yeah. easier to get that draft and that speed and you did it in like under 16 hours yeah see it's under 16 hours and then the, the year after that we did it again like <laughs> I don't know what was amnesia. going on yeah selective amnesia yeah that's not so bad we did it once like oh torture and um you I think in May again or um was it in May I can't from your mistakes. I, I think it was around summertime as well. Okay. I need to we need to double check that, but yeah. uh I we did a little bit a little bit faster, I think half an hour or an hour faster. I can, yeah. I can only imagine the sort of mental sort of effort, as you said, that took to when you're having a rest break, it's like to get back to on keep the bike. Going, oh, to get back on the bike. I remember lying actually outside Subway on the side of the the side of subway like in a little alleyway in Fujera and like literally just like lying in amongst the dustbins because I was just trying to get and everyone was sleeping <laughs> six of us were just totally there's photographs and I look back now and think wow that's like that's a really like such a raw photograph of how everyone was feeling yeah. and but yeah we all we all supported each other and you know it, it it was a means to an end, you know, there was... Twice in a lifetime experience. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I don't think I'd be doing it again. Twice was Fair enough. enough. <laughs> um, well, I mean, you were talking about the, the mental uh, side of things, because I'm really interested in the crossover between the physical fatigue and the ability of the mind to overcome this. So I guess some days, do you think we should allow the body to rest, even though the mind is telling you to keep going? Because I guess that's useful in a race, but what about training? Well, rest is definitely the most important thing to let your body recover and reap the benefits of what you did in training. So definitely it's if you don't have rest in your training cycle, then there's something not right. Sure. It's, it's wrong. The mind will normally give up before the body. So you need to. So if you're conditioned to do a race or to do a training set or you're, you know, you're getting fitter, your legs can keep going, your body can, it's trained to do it, yeah. but when you start to mentally break down is where everything can fall apart. Mm -hmm. So the answer to that is, no, you shouldn't stop. If, yeah. if you're mentally fatiguing, no, mm -hmm. no, you should 
try and overcome that. But if you're physically fatiguing, it happens. Yeah. And that's so maybe, that. yeah, due to, due to like not eating, not sleeping properly, and um, not taking your rest as you should. Yeah. So they, it's all interlinked and um, one can't work without the other. Mm -hmm, definitely. I mean, sometimes you think it's your mind saying, oh, your legs are hurting so much, you physically can't keep going, but yeah. it's just the mind playing tricks on you. Yeah, you, you need to shut up. <laughs> everyone, everyone will make excuses, yeah. like we all do. Like, this morning I was out and yeah. I like kept making excuses. Oh, you don't need to do that extra two minutes. It, like, it hurts too much. Oh, you know, it's too foggy or then you're just ruining it for yourself you made the effort to go out to get up at five o'clock in the morning you made the effort to make your coffee to make your breakfast to drive to the track to get yourself ready and then halfway through it you have a little mini tantrum it's it's only you're only fooling yourself so tips to kind of avoid that is maybe listen to some motivating music or have like a mantra in your head like yeah yeah like it's it's like a fight it's an art it really is an art and the the older i've gotten and the more training i've done i i definitely have learned that it's always worth the pain sure <laughs> mental pain yeah and physical like yeah interlinked <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah it's um listening to other people you get tips on how to overcome that those mental barriers mm, yeah i yeah. think mum told me once you know if you're in a race and you're running if you slow down it's still gonna hurt so you might as well just keep going fast that's <laughs> that is very true yeah so, yeah try to think about that yeah like it it will end yeah exactly. it will end it's just a little bit better yeah just ca count the meters put yeah. like um put pinpoints like okay I'm gonna go to the next tree and yeah. then I'll get to that next tree okay I can I think I can go to the next yeah, one exactly. so it's just mental mental ticks yeah yeah so you say over the years you sort of learnt so much more and you've had different experiences being an athlete coaching athletes um, cycling people of different abilities if you had to choose three sort of attributes you'd like to see in your athletes what would they be Hmm. I would love to see a lot of attributes, <laughs> but if you had if to it, narrow it to yeah, three. <laughs> if it boiled down to three, I would say that they need to be good listeners. They need to have trust in what the coach is telling them. Be loyal, and most importantly, is that they need to be self-driven. Mm. If you're not self-driven, then no money or no coach could take that person out of bed and put them on a bike it needs to be down to that person to want to do it to yeah you, you know you, you need to be self-driven yeah, no, yeah for sure yeah especially when you're going to put yourself into a lot of pain you need to accept that it's going to be a little bit of a hurt locker and nobody's there to hold your hand oh, and sure. yeah and also like the, the being a good listener I've I, I used to listen to my coach. I used to take everything and I used to throw it out the window and I used to always believe that my way is the right way and it wasn't. And I learned that the hard way of like races going really wrong, 
training going wrong, getting injured. Mm. So, um, I guess it's that yeah. fine balance then. It's like you have to have that motivation, but then you also have to be like, okay, no, I'll listen to my coach and respect the coach enough and trust the coach enough. Yeah, especially yeah, especially when, when that person has kind of gone through the ringer and they've gone through the wars and they've gone through all that stuff and they've they've come out the other end and they're they're doing okay then something has gone right for them and that's just them passing on their expertise and their mm. knowledge not not everyone is going to do exactly what their coach says there's always room for movement and their own ideas but yeah if you don't listen to your coach then what's the point of having one exactly yeah exactly. you're wasting their time your time and yeah it's just it's not going to be a useful relationship no no it just ends up being like a negative one and yeah one person blames the other and the other yeah it's it's not not worth it so i think many people fear that coaching plans just like copy and pasted from athlete to athlete so how do you personalize your training plans like do you need to ask specific questions from the athletes First, you need to, like, yeah, you obviously need to sit down with them and see where they are at first. There's always a starting point. You you work from there, like, um, what their experience is in, in racing, what equipment they use, what foods they eat, yeah. what's their social life like, what's their sleeping habits like, and then you make a big... Then you can draw a picture of, of, of how they are and then you can start to adapt your ways into, into theirs. So I would always use stuff from my experience, stuff that has worked best for me. Yeah. Their pain, thro- pain threshold is going to be a lot different to mine. They may be better, they may be worse. So sure. you need to monitor, first you need to give them the training, then you need to monitor how they're getting on. Yeah. And if they're not able to do that eight minutes at 90% then you just have to scale it back then you put them at six minutes at 90% and you see you just have to keep monitoring there is no right or wrong there is no like template out there that's going to say okay that person is should be able to do that no it, it doesn't work and life gets in the way yeah. and everyone's different exactly and people have their own lives going on and mm. you know t- yeah. people are time limited like someone is not going to be able to do 18 hours a week they can do 10 so you just you work with that but going back to what you said the copy pasting it is known Mm. and i i see a lot of it but usually the way i would work is i would just put my own like portfolio you might say of like five years of training and i give it to them and i just like take bits and pieces and see how they do with that and then they start progressing and then I start adding a little bit more and then you read on the online and yeah. you just <laughs> you use use what you know is best but also you can you can start to use other people's methods yeah. and I guess that is the power of the internet you have so much more information out there you are able to learn so much more about things that the training methods have changed so much over the years so it's important to keep up to date with whatever like the new ideas and science definitely but like the one thing that i will always say is that it takes years to build an engine to build an aerobic engine will not be built in three months 
it takes two, three, four, five years. You need, like, I'm speaking from a, a cycling point of view, the more time you can sit on your bike, the more time that you can just cycle, that's, that's what you need to do first. And then you can start adding in your efforts and your sprints and your VO2 and 20 minute tests. And, but you need to get on your bike first. You need to ride and you need to get your saddle sores. You need to feel your shoulders like, you, yeah, like it's, you need to feel like a cyclist. <laughs> your shoulders yeah. all sounds very familiar yeah. to all of us, but yeah oh i guess that's the thing people can't expect oh two weeks i can break this pb it's, it's go do iron man dubai yeah uh, a lot of people do though and yeah. it's it's like and they get injured <laughs> exactly and then you know they won't they won't they won't train for a month afterwards because they have broken themselves so much so there's a lot of foolishness out there and naivety to think that oh, okay oh, i'm gonna i'm gonna do an hour, a half Ironman and I have four weeks to train for it. Yeah, you might finish it, but you will die a death. You, you will. It, yeah. If you're a superhuman, yes. But for the majority of us, the body needs a lot of conditioning before it can go out and put itself through that mm. distance. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of putting yourself through the ringer and coming out the other side, um, can you tell us about your hardest race or your proud or your proudest moment and are these the same or are they different races? Yeah, so uh, there are two definitely different races. <laughs> the hardest race was the shortest race I've ever done. Uh, that's in distance and it was the total distance. It was six kilometers. Ooh. You might laugh, but mm -hmm. it was a, a six kilometer time trial. 200%. Yeah, yeah, two hundred and fifty full gas from oh. A to B. Uh, it was it, it was the final stage in the Tour of Antalya, in Turkey, and it was after four. It was the fourth day of the the stage, and I did that. I did that TT with a, a herniated disc. What? Uh, yeah, I sh I shouldn't have been there. I should have I should have been in a hospital back home in in Ireland. Yikes! But. I was there. I understand why you're saying this is the hardest. It was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Like, even 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 the two days previous to the three days was like hell on earth. And yeah. Anyway, we'll talk about the race. It was a six k TT. So as you know, Jess, it's yeah. a six to time trial is an all out effort with no holding back. Yeah. So, Especially for six kilometers. Yeah, so it was a it was a very sh short course, and it had it was an uphill start. Oh, like there was a, a two percent grade at the beginning, which lasted oh, like six hundred meters. That's all, <laughs> and then you you veered off the right, and you had two roundabouts. So your technical skills yeah. and speed there was, but holding a very high power. Skills. And um, yeah, there was another two two roundabouts, and then you, you came back down home. Down the, it was a downhill for recovery yeah so you could push a little bit more yeah. but uh, I remember my coach writing out the race plan and to this day it's still in my lo bedside locker Sorry. and the race plan was broken into four splits so the right. first first uh, first kilometer and a half I think it was like at 
105% of FTP, right? The second split was 110%. And uh, went on third, I think even more, it was like 115% and then 130% effort. <laughs> so <laughs> I, all, yeah, all I could remember was the car, I was went off the blocks and I remember the car just honking the horn at me non-stop, like I was obviously going too slow. <laughs> I couldn't, I maybe placed 10th from the bottom. Yeah, so you last. I wasn't last, but uh, it was definitely like, something I'd love to forget, but I can't. It's on the podcast now. Yeah, that was <laughs> the, the that that was a. I even think it was a five and a half kilometer time trial, but it definitely it was cruel. It was gr like think of all the pain into <laughs> like into into twelve <laughs> into fifteen minutes. Think of that. Oh. Yeah. So that was the hardest race and then the race I was most proud of probably the Irish national time trials where I think I ranked seventh in Ireland wow for the time trial yeah and that was my, my best power ever I was had my Aragon time trial bike I was uh, my family was there it was down in Kilkenny no down in Waterford and I remember warming up and seeing like people like um, Sam Bennett, who's now world sprinter. He's like he's Irish, so he was at the. I saw. Remember seeing Eve McChrystal, who came first this year in the na and oh. yeah. So it was something that I was working for for a very long time, and uh, it was a 35k TT, and I remember feeling like I was a superwoman that day. And I remember when I finished, like my mum was there and she gave me a big hug and my dad and everyone, my coach was there and they were so proud of me. Yeah. And yeah, cause it was on home soil and mm. it's really not hard. It, it, it is really hard, sorry, <laughs> to do well in Europe in in road racing and of time course. trials. It's, it's not easy. It's not like here. And you're used to racing here. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. Uh, and like I've I've loved time trials ever since, and um, I plan to go back there again. Well, I think one of the questions was your goals for twenty twenty one. So I I would love to go back in this summer and perform again on a different bike, okay. a Cervelo P five. Oh, very So nice. I really need to I need to ju there's no sponsors, but I need to justify that justify that bike. Nice. So yeah. Yeah, well, we're clearly hinting out for post-pandemic holiday destinations. So, do you have a favorite place in the world to cycle? I would say Mallorca, Mallorca. is like the creme de la creme of cycling. I'm sure there are other places that I haven't been, like France, the home of cycling. I've been to Italy cycling, but definitely Mallorca. It's got like Sacalabra so many different iconic climbs that you you like these winding mm. snaking roads up up the side of the mountain and you just it's like heaven on earth there and um, the paella and then you can I eat all the exactly food like i like i yeah i finish oh. like a five-hour ride and the first thing i do is yeah, i go straight yes <laughs> straight down and i get the um the the, the uh, yeah you can just eat Everything. your heart out there. 
I can keep going. Yeah. <laughs> Just go to yeah. the tapas bar. The, the sangria. Like, all of this. Yeah. Yeah. And, like great weather as well. Yeah, and the and the coffee and the oh the cake stops there. <laughs> Like some of the cakes are just picture perfect. Do you and plan your rides around the coffee shop. No, it's true. You do. Makes you sense. do. Yeah. So that, yeah, Mallorca is is very very high up there. Obviously Ireland. Okay. Yeah. In the summertime when it's not lashing mm. down and blowing a gale. And um, snowing and covered in cold. Yeah. Like, and and one day we will cycle together in Australia. Definitely. That's true. And we'll yes. do a few crit cr races there. <laughs> We yeah. won't do a whole tour of the country like we, you did here. I think that might be a limit, but yeah, um, yeah, no, definitely we'll we'll plan some good rides all over the world. Absolutely. And we can travel again. Yes. Um, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. But yeah, I think those are all the questions we had planned. Yeah. But thank you so much for your time. Yeah. I hope that was okay. I hope I didn't like blather on too oh, much. No. Oh, this was amazing. You're good at editing, so. <laughs> Learn. <laughs>